Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inshallah, we'll be beginning just in a few moments. If the brothers that would want to move closer, inshallah, we'd really appreciate it. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalatu wassalamu ala Sayyid al Anbiya wal Mursaleen, Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجعل الحزن سهلا إذا شئت آمين قال الله تعالى والفجر وليال عشر والشفع والوتر صدق الله العظيم وصدق رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك لمن الشاهدين والشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين in order to understand the importance of the day of Arafah and its virtues, we have to understand what the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam went through on that day. So if we could all just take a moment and just imagine or recall an incident that, you know, perhaps maybe you met a famous person or someone that you were really, really looking forward to meeting to. For example, like personally, alhamdulillah, my class and I, we were able to go to South Africa just a few months ago. And, you know, for the past seven years, we've been hearing about uh, the teachers of our teachers. We've been hearing about Mufti Allah al-Haq, Sulman Choksi, and many of the other teachers at the Madrasa. So we visited Darulum Zakaria, which is Mufti, Mufti Azim's, Mufti Bin Haj's, Ma Yusuf Ghos, and Ma Usman Akhtar's uh, Madrasa that they studied at. We were finally, alhamdulillah, able to meet all, all of our grand teachers, really our beloved teachers that we've been hearing about for so long. And the, the joy that a person feels when they're meeting someone that they've been looking forward to meeting is just out of this world. They're ecstatic. They're very, very happy. They feel like, you know, something's been accomplished. Like, it's, it's a momentous occasion for all of us. But the feeling that we have when we meet anyone, it, it pales in comparison to the feeling that the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een that they had when they first saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa for the first time. And this is the incident that happened with Nubayt bin Shurayt radiallahu ta'ala an that when he was a young boy, he, he, I mean, he and his father, they heard that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was performing the hajj. So they decided to go too. And he, they never met Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He never had the chance to see him. He didn't know what he looked like. He just, all he did was he, he, he's heard about this man for years and years. And he fell in love with him. And he accepted what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam came with, the message that he came with. And he, he became Muslim. And ever since then, he just kept hearing more and more about Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the longing to meet him kept increasing and increasing. So one day while they were performing their hajj, they saw a man that was on a camel, on a red camel, and he was going in between the people, telling them what to do, talking to them, giving them different advices and whatnot. So then Nubayt bin Shurayt, his father, tapped him on the shoulder and he says, you see that man on the camel? And he says, yeah, I see him. He's just talking to people, showing, helping them out. So his father responded by saying, ذَاكَ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa His father responded by saying that that is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa so this was the hajj for many of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een that many of them they didn't live in Mecca or Medina with Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam directly many of them heard about Islam and the message that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam brought second hand they were able they just heard about it from some other muslim some person that had re- met and reached Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that's how they accepted their Islam so all throughout Arabia there were so many Muslims that didn't get the chance to meet Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Hajj for them was the opportunity first and foremost was to meet this man that they accepted as their as the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And it was also the opportunity to, for them to become part of a larger community and for them to perform this great ibadah with Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So for these people, for the first time they're meeting Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they see him exerting himself and putting as 110% into the most beautiful ibadah of Allah Ta'ala that, he could, that the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was doing. They saw him worshipping Allah Ta'ala to the best of his, uh, to, and he's exerting himself to the best of his ability. And they see Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam after hearing about him for so long, the joy that they feel when finally seeing him and, and also seeing him in such a beautiful state, you can, we can't even imagine how they must have felt. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says that Al-Hajj Arafah, that the entire Hajj is Arafah. This is very similar to the famous hadith that we know that Addu'a'u huwa al-ibadah or Addu'a'u mukhul ibadah that dua itself is worship, that raising our hands to Allah Ta'ala and supplicating to Him, that itself is worship. So what this hadith, this construct is trying to show us is that Arafah is a very, very, it's the ultimate pillar of Hajj. 
And that's why we see so many different narrations regarding the worship of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam while he was at Arafah. And the different things that he did and he said to the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they're all related from the incident of when he was in Arafah. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the way he came to Arafah was that he had left Mina and he entered into the, the plain of Arafah before the time of Dhuhr. And he pitches his tent in a place called Namira, which for those of you who have gone there, there's a masjid there now. And what he did was he made his way to the top of the mountain so that he could begin worshiping Allah Ta'ala and making dua. And anticipating that, of course, because of the love that the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een that they had for Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said that Arafah kulluha mawqif, that the entire plain of Arafah itself is a place that you're allowed to stand on. You don't need to stand in this exact spot that I'm standing. You don't need to, you don't need to stand in the, on this exact mountain. So he, he made it a point out of anticipation that because of the love of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een, as well as for the millions of Muslims that are going to be coming after him, that they don't need to specifically stand on that one spot. The day of Arafah for Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was primarily two different two parts. That the first was dua and the second was da'wah. That the first was him sitting for hours and hours raising his hands to Allah and calling out to Allah Ta'ala and speaking with Allah Ta'ala. And the second was him addressing his nation, addressing the, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum that had gathered. So keeping in mind that this was the largest gathering that this was the largest audience that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had in front of him. This was over 100,000 plus people. So some of these people, as we have said, that they never had the chance to see Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They never had a chance to, to speak with him. And this is their first time meeting him. So now the advice that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gives to these people is very, very crucial. And it's going to lay an imprint on their hearts as to what exactly is this Islam? What exactly, what exactly is it that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wants from me? So as we know, the Hajj was performed near the end of his lifetime, meaning that the Qur'an was almost completely revealed. And the Sahaba that were standing in front of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, these were the people that were ready to carry on the work after the demise of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So on both sides, there was a sort of anticipation and an anxiety. Of course, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he wanted to make sure that he delivered the correct message. He wanted to make sure that the things that he's going to say are those things that really impact the lives of these individuals because very soon he's going to pass away. So they need to be able to move forward as a community themselves. Likewise, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, because many of them never had the chance to meet Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they've been learning about Islam not directly from him or from the Sahaba that were in Medina, they also, want, they also had that sort of... Uh, uh, anticipation and that anxiety of hearing directly from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam and what does he have to say. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam he gives his famous uh, khutbatul wida' during the hajj and where he addresses this entire group of 100,000 plus sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in as well as giving multiple like smaller bayans and smaller advices to the to the to the sahaba that were present. And one of these advices is that تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ أَمْرَيْنْ لَن تَضِلُّ مَا تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِمَا كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةَ نَبِيِّهِ That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa again, like we said, he's trying to reinforce these core concepts of what it means to be a Muslim, what it means to have this Islamic identity in these Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And he says that, تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ أَمْرَيْنْ I'm leaving behind for you all two things. That if you hold as long as you hold on to these two things. And what are these two? He says, Kitab Allah wa sunnata nabiyyihi. That if you hold on to the book of Allah Ta'ala and my sunnah, you will never ever go astray. So again, just reinforcing, the, reinforcing these core concepts of what it really means to be a Muslim. Additionally, in the longer khutbatul bida' that he gave, again, as we mentioned, there was 100,000 plus sahaba. And Interestingly, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, of course, 100,000 people, it's like the, you could, that, that group of people must have been as far as the eye can see. And the Sahaba that were in the back, actually, that were, or the people that were coming late, the people that were just getting there, they said that while we were in the back, while we were in our tents and just making our way to the, to the rest of the group, we could hear Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam's voice very, very clearly. So this is what was understood to be a miracle of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam that these people that, could, that were so far away from him, they were able to hear him very, very clearly without a loudspeakers, without the microphone, without anything. This is very similar to the command of Allah Ta'ala that he said to, Nabi, to Ibrahim alayhi salam, that Allah Ta'ala says to Ibrahim alayhi salam that 
your responsibility is to call out, your responsibility is to call people towards Allah Ta'ala and our responsibility, Allah Ta'ala is taking the responsibility on Himself that He's gonna make sure that whatever message that you're relaying to the people, whatever you're delivering, that's going to reach the ears and the hearts of the people. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he stands up on the day of Arafah and like we said, we have to be, we just think about the, the what's going through the head of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he's standing in front of these people that he had to literally like fight tooth and nail for, for while he was in Arabia because of all the oppression and all the opposition that he faced for so long and now he has this huge group of 100,000 plus people that have accepted him as the final messenger of, of Allah Ta'ala and they're ready to listen to him and they're, holding, they're gonna hold on to every single word that he's about to say. And these are definitely the people that, of course, after he passes away, they're the ones that's going to be carrying on the message and carrying this, uh, this message of Islam to the four corners of the globe. So he starts speaking, of course, and he starts with the praise of Allah Ta'ala, and he asks Allah Ta'ala for guidance. And in this, he's actually teaching us how to begin a bayan, how to give a khutbah. And he says that, Jubair ibn Mut'im radiallahu ta'ala an narrates that أنه شهد خطبة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم في يوم عرفة في حجة الوداع that Jubair bin Mut'im radiallahu ta'ala an, he says that he himself heard what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said on this occasion when he was about to address this huge group. And he says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, أيها الناس إني والله لا أدري لعلي لا ألقاكم بعد يومي هذا بمكاني هذا. That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he starts off with saying, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get this opportunity again because I don't know if I'm ever going to. I don't know if we'll, either either one of us is going to be alive to, for me to talk to for me to talk to you again. I have no idea if there's going to be another opportunity if I'm even going to live long enough to get this opportunity again to be able to speak to you. So this is absolutely heartbreaking for the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in that they're, the first time that they're meeting this individual, the first time that they're hearing about what this deen is directly from him, the first time that they're able to meet him, able to see him, able to hear him, this is the first thing that he has to say. That he's telling them that you might not have another chance. So all these people that have fallen in love with him, that now their, their heart has become completely shattered. Just if we put ourselves in their shoes that, you know, perhaps, you know, if, uh, if one of our close relatives, no, we ask that Allah Ta'ala protect them all and keep them all safe. But for, just for the hypothetical, if they, were, if they were in the emergency room, they're in the hospital, and they know that they're not going to live for much longer. Doctors tell them that, you know, you just have a few hours left, and you know that they're not going to uh, live much longer. And let's say a father, he calls in his son to the room, and he says, Beta, you know, I got to tell you something, I don't know if I'm going to have another chance to do this. That would, any child would be absolutely devastated. And our love for our parents or for our loved one and for our close relatives pales in comparison to the love that the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een had for Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So not only the Sahaba that were coming from far and wide, that they, they, didn't, they weren't the only ones, of course, that heard this, but even the Sahaba that had spent years and, and decades with Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, they too had to face this reality that perhaps, you know, this, this could be the last time that we ever, that we stand in front of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam where he's able to give us these advices and give us, uh, as a community, he's able to speak to all of us. Very similar to the, to the narration of Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu ta'ala an, where once when, there, there's someone, for the people of Yemen, there was someone that needed to be dispatched. There was a scholar that they needed in their community. They, they needed a governor, they needed a leader, they needed someone to handle their affairs. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he had Mu'adh bin Jabal go to the people of Yemen. And regarding Mu'adh bin Jabal, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that, وَأَعْلَمُهُمْ بِالْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ Mu'adh bin Jabal, that the most knowledgeable from amongst the Sahaba, from amongst the Sahaba was, regarding the halal and haram of this religion, was Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu ta'ala an. And he says that أَخَذَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِيَدِي That the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, he grabbed me by my hand. The day I was leaving for Yemen, he grabbed me by my hand. And he said that, وَاللَّهِ إِنِّي لَأُحِبُّكَ That, O oh Mu'adh, by, by Allah, I swear by Allah Ta'ala, I love you so much. And Mu'adh ibn Jabr radiallahu ta'ala an, he he replies and he says, Bi wa ummi ya Rasulullah, may my mother and father, I'll give them up if, if that means I could have you. They may, be, may they be ransomed off for you, may they be ransomed off for you, that, Wallahi inni la uhibbuk, that, O oh, oh, Messenger of Allah, I love you too. I love you so much, you have no idea. 
And then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, after giving him a few advices, he walks with his companion to the gate of Medina, bidding him farewell. At the same time, both of them are crying, both of them are weeping. The Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they embody the hadith of Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhum. Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhum, he says that, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من وارده وولده والناس أجمعين. That none of you is a perfect believer. None of you has complete iman. None of you has kamal iman until I, the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, am the most beloved individual to him, more than his parents, more than his, more than his kids, more than his, more than even his own self. That none of you has perfect iman until you love me more than anything and everything in this world. And the Sahaba رضي الله تعالى عنهم, of course, they they embody this. Now, after saying this to the, this group, this large, the largest group that he's ever been in front of, of 100,000 people, after saying that, you know, listen very closely, because what I'm about to say, you may never hear from me directly again. He says, That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says that, May Allah, he makes dua actually, he says, May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on the one who hears what I'm about to say right now and he preserves it, he remembers it, he implements it in his own lives and he preaches it to others. May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on that individual. Because perhaps that, perhaps, you know, someone, one of you, maybe this is the first time you're hearing me speak, you don't know so much about Islam, so you're going to learn these few masail from me right now. And perhaps perhaps you have the opportunity to teach someone who actually knows more than you, but he doesn't know this information that I'm about to give you right now. So my point, the point of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the point that I'm about to make is that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam is in this entire talk, as we said, he's focusing on these core concept, conceptual values that our civilization needs. What does the Muslim ummah need to rely on? So the first thing that he's highlighting here is ilm. He's focusing on ilm. The most important thing that the, the entire base of our religion is knowledge and increasing in knowledge and spreading knowledge and making sure that we have the opportunity to learn and grow regarding our religion, regarding our spirituality. This is a civilizational value that he's putting forth. So we understand through the context, of course, that the Sahaba, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, the, maybe, the, maybe the Sahaba that, you know, they don't know so much about deen, they either recently accepted, or they just haven't had the opportunity to meet like a senior Sahabi, or of course they didn't meet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, perhaps it's their first time. They don't know a lot. So what is Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam saying that, right now I'm telling you what the foundation is, and after my passing, you have the opportunity to learn from the senior Sahaba that are in front of you. you have the opportunity to learn and grow regarding this religion from the senior Sahaba that have spent decades and years and years with me. And of course, we have this even preserved until today, that this method of this, um, the system, really, of the isnad that, that is in place today, that I'm sure for those of you who were here last week for the Bukhari Khatam, you saw that the, uh, the isnad system, this entire unbroken chain between us people living 1400 years after Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we still have an uninterrupted chain going back to the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een, all the way back to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, showing us that this ilm, this civilizational value is still being upheld today. We need to make sure that we preserve it. Regarding actually this isnad system of um, being able to trace who you actually heard information from. So for example, ourselves, we heard from our teachers who heard from their teachers in South Africa. Our teachers in South Africa, most of them studying in the subcontinent, India, Pakistan. And that, of course, the, the Asanid and the chains of transmission of the ulama of Dioband is very, very famous. And that goes through Shah Waliullah. So this is just, it, we have this system to show the purity of what this, and the pristineness of the knowledge that we are gaining from our elders and regarding this religion. Ibn Sirin actually, he, Imam Muslim, he mentioned in the Muqaddimah the quote of Ibn Sirin where he says that, That this entire religion, if we want to practice our religion properly, if we even want to know what this religion is, it's all depend on the, the ilm that we gain regarding this. The advice that he gives is that, Be very wary, as, be very cautious who you're adopting as a teacher. Then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, after stressing the importance of ilm, he gives like the first advice directly. He says, وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ أَمْوَالَكُمْ وَدِمَاءَكُمْ حَرَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ كَحُرْمَةِ هَذَا الْيَوْمُ فِي هَذَا الشَّهْرُ فِي هَذَا الْبَلَدِ That he says that know very, very well that your wealth and your blood is sacred, it's protected. 
just like how this day, this day of Arafah is sacred, just like how this month is sacred, just like how this city of Mecca is, is, is sacred. So subhanAllah, after explaining the importance of ilm, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's stressing the importance of the community, the larger Muslim community. He's expressing the the importance of what it, of unity and how we need to be unified as a community. So before Islam, we see that the Arabs, before Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came, that period of time was known as the Ayyamul Jahiliyyah, the days of ignorance, the days of not having revelation directly from Allah Ta'ala to guide us to what we need to do. And during this time, the Arabs were known to be very, very, almost barbaric. Just a lot of senseless killing was going on. Um, lewd behavior, prostitution, these things were very, very common. And such a highway robbery, like what we would call today aggravated assault, and these things were just very, very common. The tribes were very, had a lot of ta'asub, a lot of bias. They weren't very uh, accepting these, these desert nomads. All they cared about was their own. So, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what he's saying is that, inna amwalakum wa dima'akum, that this tribe, this feudal tri uh, tribe ship, all these, this like, this gang mentality needs to stop. We need to crush this, we need to stop this right now. If we're going to survive, if we're going to move forward, if we're going to survive in this world as a Muslim community, this can't be happening anymore. And we need to make sure that we're all united as one. So, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is destroying this concept of tribalism and feudal relationships. He's doing away with this concept entirely. And what he does, subhanAllah, to, as a great leader does, he starts with his own self. He starts with saying that anything that my tribe may have had with your tribe, that's water under the bridge. We don't need to worry about it anymore. If, if, you, felt, if you guys did something to disrespect us, we did something to disrespect you, um, the XYZ thing happened in the past, it's, it's, it's a clean slate. Everyone has a fresh start right now. So, of course, if Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam is saying that, you know, um, we want to honor this, we don't, want to, we don't want to have any grudges against anyone, everyone else is going to have to follow through as well. And then he goes on to say that, after expressing the importance of what it means for there to be this, the absence of this gang mentality and in stressing the importance of what it means to be a community, he says that he is going to abolish the concept of riba. He's going to abolish the concept of interest and usury. So abolishing the concept of riba, as he said, again, he's going to start with his own family. He points at his, the, his uncle Abbas, Al-Abbas radiallahu ta'ala an, the father of Abdullah bin Abbas, the great mufassir, of the, the, the mufassir of this ummah. And he says that anyone who owed him any money, anyone that, you know, had a payment that, and you owe interest on it or there's a late fee anything of the kind you do not owe it to him anymore again now if anyone hears that the messenger of Allah وسلم, isn't going to accept a payment of interest and usury then they too will follow, sort, uh, will follow and they will make sure that they're not accepting this as well and then he says something very 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 relevant today and it could quite possibly be the first time that anyone in um, the political sphere has said something like this. Of course, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was more than just the, the political, a political figure for us. The most important thing about Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was that he was the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The most important thing about him was that he received revelation directly from Allah Ta'ala. This is a comment, this is a trick of shaitan that he might make us think that, oh, what's so, the greatest thing about Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam or the thing that makes him so amazing is that, you know, he was, he was a great leader, he was a great, um, he, he was a great diplomat, he was a great military strategist. This is a trick of shaitan. Of course, those things are true, but rather the greatest thing, the thing that we need to focus on, the thing that we accept him for, the thing that makes us believe in him is the fact that he is a sadiq al-ameen and he is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And what he says, like I said, is very, very relevant. Possibly the first time anyone in the, like we said, the political realm has ever said before. And he addresses something that is a big problem today. He says, Ala inna rabbakum wahid. وَإِنَّ أَبَاكُمْ وَاحِدٌ أَلَا لَا فَضْلَ لِعَرَبِيٍّ عَلَى عَجَمِي وَلَا لِعَجَمِيٍّ عَلَى عَرَبِي وَلَا أَحْمَرَ عَلَى أَسْوَدَ وَلَا أَسْوَدَ عَلَى أَحْمَرَ إِلَّا بِالتَّقْوَى He says that, know very well that of course Allah Ta'ala is the one and only Lord and all of us, every single human being, we all came from Adam alayhi salam and Hawa alayhi salam and then he says, there is no superiority of the Arab over the non-Arab, of the non-Arab over the Arab, of the red over the black, or the black over the red, except 
the only thing that makes a person better is taqwa. The only, the only bar that we have to, set, to, to see and to distinguish who's better than another is the, the bar of taqwa. So, of course, this is something that is very, very relevant today. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he's adding on to this concept of this community, of being part of something bigger, of being part of, of having a united front, of ha- having a united community. And he's doing away, along with tribalism, with this, with, he's doing away with racism and this elit- elitism altogether. So imagine you're standing there. This is the first time you're meeting Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is the first time you're hearing him speak. And what he's saying is that you... The person that comes from a marginalized tribe, a tribe that's been, been, been bullied, a tribe that's been, uh, been bullied by these uh, larger, stronger tribes, a tribe that's been disenfranch- disenfranchised, you do not have to worry about that anymore. That this deen is not going to put up with that, that we will not stand for someone bullying you just because, just because for this gang mentality that was there before, just because, just because they're from a different tribe than you. Then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam again, hitting the core concept, he says that, that I advise you, make sure you treat your women well. That after showing us what the, this uh, civilizational value, for example, of ilm, the importance of knowledge, after showing us this communal value, the, important, the importance of having a, a united front, he says that in order to achieve this thing, it's almost like going from the top to the bottom. It's, it's in order to achieve this thing, the, one of the most important things is that you have to make sure your family orders are in affair. That you have to make sure that you're, you have a good relationship with your wife, with your family, with your kids, with, of course, with your, and then it extends also to the extended family. That in order for us to get to this level, in order for us to stay at this level of, of being 100,000 plus strong, we have to make sure that we're starting from the very bottom and then it'll reach its way to the top. It's not going to work if we're just starting from the top and trying to go to the, through the, to the bottom. That if we raise our kids properly, if we make Make sure that our wives and our, spouse, our spouses are taken care of. If we make sure that our families are making, uh, if we make sure that our families have Islam as the most important thing in their lives, then of course we'll be able to keep this communal effort. We'll be, of course, we'll be able to keep uh, a very strong uh, um, unity within the community members. Of course, as an entire nation, as an entire civilization throughout this entire uh, Arabian Peninsula, we'll be able to keep ourselves strong. Then the verse was revealed. Allah Ta'ala says, actually, this, regarding this verse, there was a Jewish man actually that came to Umar radiallahu ta'ala an, and he says that, you know, you have a verse in your Quran that if it was revealed to us, if it was revealed to, revealed to us Jews, then we would have actually made that day itself a day of Eid. That this verse is so, so special, it's so, so important that the fact that you guys have it, you should be celebrating that, you've been, that this verse has been revealed upon you. And he says that Umar radiallahu ta'ala an, he asked him, okay, so what's, what's this verse, this special verse that you're asking about? And he says that it's the verse of اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام دينا Allah ta'ala says in the Quran, Surah Al-Ma'idah, he says اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم Today, today I have perfected your religion وأتممت عليكم نعمتي And this blessing, this blessing is going to come to completion soon and I'm pleased, I'm very happy that Islam is your deen. I have chosen Islam to be your religion. Umar he responds by saying, yeah, I know how special this verse is, and I know exactly when it was revealed, where it was revealed. And he says that this verse was revealed on the day of Arafah, on this day that Nabi wasallam was addressing this crowd of 100,000. And he says that this day of Arafah also fell on a Friday. So subhanAllah, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's addressing his community. And on this same day, Allah ta'ala is telling him that, giving him this glad tiding of the completion of the religion. And the scholars mentioned that regarding this ayah, that no new verses of ahkam came after this ayah, that no new, no new laws were revealed after this ayah. Any ayah that was revealed after this ayah was simply to like, reinforce a previous concept, a previous ayah that was already revealed. Then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Then let those of you who are present inform those of you who are absent. 
says, make sure that all of you who are here, there's still people who aren't here. There's still people that, you know, maybe they, weren't, they didn't get a chance to go on Hajj this year. Perhaps they're not even Muslim yet, and in a few years, you're going to remember what I'm telling you right now, and you can inform them of what I'm saying. Make sure you tell everyone what I'm telling you right now. So this is perhaps why we have the plentiful narrations of Arafah. And of course, it's already understood that this deed needs to be preserved, implemented, and spread to others. But now what we see is that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam again, like this crowd that he's addressing, he's telling them these very, very core concept and these conceptual concept of this religion. And he's telling them what the foundation is of our entire deen. So he's telling them, when you go out to the entire world, when you're going to be spreading this, when you're going to be spreading this da'wah, you're going to be spreading this message to all four corners of the globe, this is the message that I want you to tell everyone. This is the message that I want you to tell them that what, what Islam represents, what our deen is. And then we see the humility of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Where he says, Aballaghd qalu ballaghda. That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, after decades and decades of putting his blood, sweat, and tears into calling people to Islam, into calling people to what is, uh, what, who Allah Ta'ala is, into calling them to accepting his prophethood and the revelation in the Qur'an and all the things that come along with it, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, out of his humility, he says, have I done my job? SubhanAllah. Have I done my job? This man who is giving everything that he has, who Allah Ta'ala himself says, uh, that you're putting in so much work, I'm, honestly, I'm worried that you might destroy yourself. That he's asking, have I, have I delivered my message? And of course, the Sahaba, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, replied with saying, of course you have delivered your message, O, o Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, of course, he had the most fikr for this ummah. He had the utmost concern for this ummah. And now, after the worry, of course, like we were mentioning, he had this worry, what am I, uh, this address, I want to make sure that what I'm about to say to these people, I want to make sure it hits them, and I want to make sure that they can carry this throughout the rest of their lives. And now he's, he's telling them, have I done a good job? And they're telling him, yes, we understand what needs to be done, we understand your message. And of course, now Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he has this feeling of like a sort of relief that now he's, he's been affirmed by a hundred thousand plus of his companions that he has done his job well. So what does he do now? He goes and he goes to pray namaz, he goes to pray his salah, and he goes to make dua to Allah ta'ala and he engages actually so that the, the day of Arafah, what we do is we pray dhuhr and asr together so that the reason this was done was so that there is no interruption while making the dua. It's not that you just want to start making your dua for a couple hours after dhuhr and then you have this interruption of dhuhr. Even then, even Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa wanted to for hours and hours on end just make dua to Allah ta'ala and we can't even imagine what that conversation must have been like. Now, actually what happened during this time was that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa because um, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum they weren't aware whether Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was fasting or not. And for all the previous years, on the day of Arafah, when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa wasn't able to go on Hajj, what he would do in place of that was he would fast. So now they're wondering, okay, is he just doing Hajj or is he doing Hajj uh, and is he fasting at the same time? But of course, while he's engaged in dua, no one wants to go up to him and ask him. And Abu Hurair radiallahu ta'ala an, he says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa forbade fasting on the day of Hajj. But these people, they're very hesitant as to whether or not he's, we, have, we haven't seen, seen him eat or drink all day. Is he still fasting or not? So now, Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, is a very genius of her that she, being the wife of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, she takes a bowl of milk and she places it near Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam in front of him so that he could see while he's making dua. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he saw the bowl of milk, he saw the people around him and he understood. So what he did was he took his bowl of milk, he held it up so that people understood what he was about to do, so that everyone could see what he was about to do and he drank this bowl of milk. And keep in mind, these people haven't been able to they're standing in this plain of Arafah. They haven't drank all day. They're standing under the heat of the sun in the Arabian Peninsula, of course, in the middle of the desert. And now after seeing this, everyone rushed to get some water. Everyone rushed to get something to eat and drink. 
Now, the day of Arafah is the day that Allah Ta'ala boasts about His servants to, to the angels. Allah Ta'ala boasts that you look, all these people on the face of the earth, all these people from all over the world and all these different countries saying, calling out to me in all of their different languages, Allah Ta'ala is saying, what does this individual want? What does that individual want so that I, I may grant it to him? Allah Ta'ala says, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ That when my servants ask about me, tell them I am near. So this is the promise that Allah Ta'ala is making in the Qur'an that this tomorrow when we have the opportunity to make dua to Allah Ta'ala, that we should have this yaqeen, we should have this intention that of course Allah Ta'ala, He Himself is saying that, that He will respond to our calls. And tomorrow is literally the best day of the year. That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, خَيْرُ يَوْمٍ طَلَعَتْ فِيهِ الشَّمْسِ يَوْمُ عَرَفَةِ That the best day in which the sun can rise on the, on the earth is the day of Arafah. So one of the reasons, one of the possible reasons that the scholar mentions that this is the best day, the why this is the best day on the earth is because <clears throat> there is no other time in which the, the five pillars of Islam are being practiced. At most, we only have four because the days of Hajj are they're set. They're during a specific month, during the month of Dhul Hijjah. So, all the rest of the month, there there is no Hajj taking place. At most, there's only the Shahada, that people accepting Islam and or people renewing their Islam by by you know just reinforcing their iman. Of course, people are praying five times a day throughout the globe. People are giving charity and giving their zakat and their sadaqah, and people are fasting. But throughout the rest of the year, people are not able to do this fifth action of hajj. Additionally, the day of Arafah is the day in which all of the prophets, uh, all of the prophets of Allah Ta'ala were inspired to make the dua. لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير. That Allah Taala inspired all the prophets to make this du'a that we too should also be making tomorrow. That لا إله إلا الله that there is no god except for Allah Taala وحده لا شريك له that there is that He is alone and He has no partners. له الملك Allah Taala to Him belongs the entire universe, the entire kingdom. وله الحمد and He deserves all praise, all types of praise. وهو على كل شيء قدير إن is Allah Ta'ala who controls all things. The day of Arafah also marks when we took our oath. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah Al-A'raf, That Allah Ta'ala, before any of us were sent to, the, to this earth, before any of us were born, Allah Ta'ala gathered, gathered all the human souls and He asked them, Am I not your Lord? And we're testifying in the court of Allah Ta'ala under oath that we, and we, we responded to Allah Ta'ala saying that, Bala, of course you are, Ya Allah, Shahidana. We testify to this fact and we, we take an oath that you are our Lord. And we all know that, of course, the Arafah is the day of forgiveness, the day that we should be making dua. But Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that خير الدعائي دعائي يوم Arafah that the best dua is the dua of, of the day of Arafah. But before we make our dua, we should be renewing our covenant, our oath that we took with Allah Ta'ala. So why should we, and we should be saying that La ilaha illallah, the dua that we just mentioned, and why should we be saying this? Because the word Arafah, its root letters are Ain Arafah. Arafah ya'rifu ma'rifah means to recognize something, to come to know. And what exactly is it that we're coming to know? Who is it that we're coming to know? The day of Arafah is our chance to renew our recognition of Allah Ta'ala. It's to renew our covenant that we made with Allah Ta'ala. وَمَنْ عَرَفَ رَبَّهُ عَرَفَ نَفْسَهُ وَمَنْ عَرَفَ نَفْسَهُ اِعْتَرَفْ بِذَنْبِهِ وَنُقْصَانِهِ مَعَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى أَمَامَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى That a person, once they come to know Allah, if they really do come to know Allah Ta'ala, then it is necessary, there's no possible way that we can make the statement that I have come to know Allah and we can't make the statement but I don't recognize myself. It is absolutely necessary that if we want to recognize Allah Ta'ala, we have to recognize our own selves. And what does it mean to recognize our own selves? That the only way we can recognize how great Allah Ta'ala is, is by understanding how low we are. The only way of admitting to the blessings of Allah Ta'ala is to admit 
to all those sins that we've done, all the times we've misused his blessings. That the person who has recognized himself, he himself will be the first to admit that of all of his wrongdoings, of all of his sins, he himself will be the first to admit that I now recognize my Lord, which means I recognize how low and how humiliating I am standing in front of Allah Ta'ala. That once we, we know Allah Ta'ala, we focus on Him, we realize how amazing He is, how low we are, we realize, and we realize how deficient we are in worshiping Allah Ta'ala. And the reason we should be saying all of this, the reason that we should be saying this, dua, this, this dhikr before we make our dua is because this will lead us to making a sincere dua. A sincere dua will be that we hold Allah Ta'ala in the highest esteem while at the same time showing how low we are and how much we need Him, how much we depend depend on him, how much we accept him as our Rabb. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he also taught us the Sayyidul Istighfar, the dua that we read every day during, for the, that we say in the morning and evening duas here, that Allahumma anta Rabbi, O oh Allah, you are our Lord, la ilaha illa ant, there is no God except for you. Now we can stop here, if the point was just to admit that Allah Ta'ala is our Lord, that would be enough. But Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's teaching us how to make a sincere dua. It's not just by calling out to Allah Ta'ala, it's by showing that we are in need of Him and showing that we are dependent on Him. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he continues the dua. Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa and khalaqatani wa ana abaduk. You're the one that created me so that mandates that I am your slave. I accept that you are my creator, I am your creation. You are... The, my master, I am your slave. Again, this covenant that we took before we are in this world, I will try and I will work to the best of my ability, to the best of my ability to make sure I uphold that oath I took with you. I make sure to uphold that covenant I took with you in, in admitting that you are my Lord and making sure that I follow your wishes to the best of my ability. خلقتني وأنا عبدك وأنا على عهدك ووعدك ما استطعت أعوذ بك من شر ما صنعت and I after admitting all of this I seek refuge with you from all those sins that I committed and I am very very humiliated and I'm very very sorry for those sins that I committed أبوء لك بنعمتك علي وأبوء لك بذنبي يا الله I admit that I that you're the one who has given me all of these blessings and I admit too that those blessings that you gave me I didn't use them in the proper manner these eyes that you gave me I used them for sin this tongue that you gave me I used it to backbite these hands that you gave me I gave it to do haram these feet that you gave me I gave it to walk towards haram and all these sins that Allah all these blessings, sorry, that Allah Ta'ala has given us, the best way to be appreciative of these blessings is that we need to make sure that we use them in the proper manner. So, So after, again, so this, this, why we need to make the dua is to show that we are low and Allah Ta'ala is high, and then we make the dua. It's the same thing in this dua. After all this praise of Allah Ta'ala, after showing how low we are compared to Allah Ta'ala, now what do we do? After all that, after, that's still the same dua. This whole entire, all these couple, uh, these multiple lines of praising Allah Ta'ala. Only after we do this, now Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, now you could say, فَغْفِرْ لِي فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتِ now we ask you, oh Allah, after admitting how amazing you are, how majestic you are, how supreme you are, how low we are, how, how humiliating we are, now we ask you, Allah, there's no one else to turn to, there's no one else that we could ask this, فَغْفِرْلِي Ya Allah, please forgive me, please forgive us. فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتِ There's no one else that forgives mistakes except for, there's no one else that can forgive our mistakes, forgive our sins except for you, Ya Allah. Similarly to how in Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah Ta'ala, He says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, we ask, we pray, we start off by praising Allah Ta'ala. We say, Oh Allah, or we say, all praise, every single type of praise is due to Allah Ta'ala, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of the worlds, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, the, 
benevolent, the beneficial, the merciful. Maliki Yawmuddin, the Lord, the owner of the Day of Judgment. So now again, we got done with pray. We, we just praised Allah Ta'ala. Now we're admitting how low we are compared to Him, how, how much in need we are to Him. You alone are the only one that we worship, and you alone are the only one that we rely on. Now what do we do after praising Allah Ta'ala, after showing how low we are? Now, so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is showing us the adab in making dua. <clears throat> that after, after doing this, that's when we say, Oh Allah, guide us. To the path of those whom you have favored and not the path of those people who have earned your hate and in your anger and your, dis and your disgust. So, <clears throat> after... Um, yeah, so the only way we'll be able to make dua properly is after admitting this fact of how much we depend on Allah Ta'ala. Now a lot of times we may think that, you know, um, what can we do because, what can we do to try to gain reward on this day of Arafah when, you know, we didn't get a chance to go on Hajj. We didn't get a chance to, we're not, we're not um, part of the Hajjaj groups this year. We're not part of it. We're not being, we're not, we weren't able to go on Hajj this year. So what is it that we could do to make sure that we get reward? So a lot of times we may think that it's restricted only to the place. Rather, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he mentions that the Arafah is both Zaman and Makan. Yes, it is the place, of course. Well, if a person's in Arafah on the day of Arafah, that's the best thing that they could do. But that doesn't mean that we're out of luck. Rather, tomorrow we have the opportunity to, even though we're not in the place of Arafah, it's still the timing of Arafah. So we still have the opportunity to, make, to do as much ibadah as we can. And we have to remember that, the, that we have to remember that the ibadah of Arafah for Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam before actually he was able to go on Hajj, the Hajj which he performed later on in his life, his ibadah that he would do was that he would fast on the day of Arafah. That the, for the seven eight year for the almost decade of not being able to go to Mecca after he was kicked out and he was he had to stay in Medina, the ibadah that that him and the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum would do on the day of Arafah was that they would fast. So we too should make this intention of fasting. Um, in the hadith we see that uh, in narration of Muslim he says that the the Siyami Yomi Arafah that the, the fasting on the day of Arafah forgives a year uh, forgives two years of sins. And normally, you know, sometimes we get confused with um, the Ashura fast about, um, you know, which, which, which one is it that forgives two years, which one is it that forgives one year. One way, one virtue actually that the Arafah has is because the, the, the Ashura fast, we, we share it, with the, it was shared with the, the Jewish people that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam met while he was in Medina. So because they fasted and, and we too fasted, we gained the reward of one year of forgiveness. But the fasting of, of Arafah is specific to us. That's why the reward is actually more. It's two years of sins being forgiven. So this is a day that in the lives of the Sahaba, in the, in the lives of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, held a very special and uh, special significance. A remarkable, it was a remarkable day for the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it should be for us as well. So interestingly, we also see that you know, we don't know when Laylatul Qadr is. We know that it's sometime in the last 10 nights of Ramadan. And one of the, the wisdoms that the, the scholars mentioned is that you know, if we knew when Laylatul Qadr is, then it's possible that, okay, let's say it's the 25th, 27th or something. Let's say it's the 25th, then people will only worship Allah Ta'ala. People will exert themselves only on that night. Rather, the reason for it being um, ambiguous, for it being unknown, is so that we exert ourselves for the entirety of those nights. But we do not have that, that excuse now. We know exactly when the day of Arafah is. All these blessings, all these virtues that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has mentioned regarding the day of Arafah, we know that it's going to be tomorrow. We know exactly that if we don't take advantage of this opportunity, we have no one to blame except for ourselves. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he says that, he adds on, he says that, what is the prize for the day of Arafah? He says, it is, that the prize is being free from the fire of Jahannam. And that's not just for those people, as we said, that are actually over there in Arafah right now, in the plain of Arafah. It's for It's for every single Muslim on the face of this earth. So the forgiveness of Allah Ta'ala is not just restricted to the people there. So 
what, to do, what should we be doing for tomorrow? First and foremost, we should all make the intention to fast. May Allah Ta'ala make it easy for us. And we should make sure that we try to set our alarms, get a good night's sleep, and make sure we wake up early to eat suhoor so we gain the barakah and the blessings of suhoor. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has set informed, us, informed us of the immense barakah in the suhoor. And if we know from the, hadith, the famous hadith, Inna al-A'malu bin niyat that if a person, for a legitimate reason, you know, something comes up, we're not able to fast, inshallah, we will also gain the reward of fasting. Additionally, we should, like we said, renew our covenant that we made with Allah Ta'ala on that day. You know, people have like their New Year's resolutions and things like that. This is our opportunity to also try to wipe the slate clean of, of our sins. This is the opportunity to, we already made a covenant on this day once. This is, this could be our second time. The best day in the entire year, this is a perfect opportunity for us to renew our, our intentions to make sure that we live our lives going forward, to leave certain sins that we may be uh, uh, committing and to make sure that we have the, we attend the masjid more, we come pray in salat and jama'ah more, we attend the programs, so on and so forth. And of course, we need to be making dua. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, Allah wa antum muqinuna bil ijaba that make, when you call on to Allah Ta'ala, make sure that you are we have certainty, have a have a, high, have a high regard for Allah Ta'ala. Don't, don't think that, you know, Allah, if you want to forgive us, please forgive us. Of course not. That's not how we ever call out to Allah Ta'ala. And we should try to prepare our lists, our dua list from beforehand, whether mentally or, or we can write, write it down. And Allah Ta'ala says that, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ أَسْتَجِبُ لَكُمْ That Allah Ta'ala says that, call out, call out to me and I will respond to you. He also says, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ That when my servants ask about, you, uh, ask about me, then tell them I am near. So now these are ayat of the Qur'an that Allah Ta'ala is discussing how readily He accepts dua. How readily He accepts dua. And that's for the entire year. So now we can only imagine how much it must be multiplied for tomorrow. How, much, how, ready, is Allah, how ready Allah Ta'ala is to accept our duas, to, to forgive us, to grant us our wishes. And... I'll end with this, that Abdullah bin Mubarak, uh, rahimahullah, the great sage, the great savant, the student of Imam Hanifa, he says that while he was performing hajj, he had the opportunity to meet Sufyan, Sufyan al-Thawri, who also is a great muhaddith, a great scholar, one of the people that uh, comes up m many times in the asanid of the hadith books. And he saw Sufyan al-Thawri and he said that he saw him crying, he saw him on his knees, he saw him disheveled, he saw him raising his hands, making dua to Allah Ta'ala. And he said, Man aswa'u hadha al-jam'i hadha That who is the worst person in this group from amongst us right now? Everyone here of course is performing hajj. Everyone here of course is crying out to Allah Ta'ala, begging for forgiveness. Who is the worst person? Who, who could possibly be the worst person in our group? And he says something profound. He responds by saying that, you know, he understands, of course, the importance of dua, and especially on the day of Arafah, he understands what it is that we need to be doing, what it is that we need to be expecting from Allah Ta'ala tomorrow. So his response is, That the worst person is the one who thinks that Allah Ta'ala will not forgive him tomorrow. That the worst person is the one that, that he thinks that Allah Ta'ala isn't going to forgive him on the day of Arafah. So we need to have this conviction when we're calling out to Allah Ta'ala. We need to have this conviction of that Allah Ta'ala will, will readily accept our du'as and ask the, Allah Ta'ala to allow us to take advantage of the few hours that we have this day, this most blessed day. Allah, I ask Allah Ta'ala that He allow us to take advantage of that day. Please remember us and the larger community in your du'as as well. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Jazakumullah khairan.